So tonight we'll be starting out our study of Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 10. We're going to cover paragraphs 1 and 2 tonight. So this is um, of, of just, or excuse me, of effectual calling. <laughs> and what we're going to do tonight is, uh, should be fairly straightforward. This lesson will have essentially three parts to it. The last one's relatively short, but important nonetheless. Um, what we're going to do tonight is I'm going to just do a quick uh, walkthrough overview of the contents of chapter 10, paragraphs 1 and 2. And then the second major section of the lesson, I'm going to look at three uh, biblical examples of effectual calling. Uh, and then uh, with our time remaining, we'll talk about uh, why is it a big deal? Why is it good news? Why do we need to know and understand this doctrine? So first we're going to walk through just kind of the basic contents. Then we'll look at three different Bible passages that kind of demonstrate this, right? We don't believe anything that's in the Westminster Confession of Faith merely because uh, some guys in England in the 1640s wrote it down. No, we believe it because we believe that they ac accurately summarize what the Bible teaches about these things. So we'll move on and look at some Bible passages, and then we'll talk about why all this matters. Why, why is it important to, to make sure we understand effectual calling? So first of all, uh, we'll look at <clears throat> the contents of the chapter, and uh, I've kind of got this broken down, at least in, in my notes, in, in the form of the, you know, the classic uh, who, what, when, where, and why. Uh, not necessarily in that order, because the confession doesn't put them in that order, but we'll read through this and talk about it, and we're going to be looking for, uh, in order, um, who makes the call? Uh, and then the next thing will be, uh, when does he make the call? How does he make the call? What we're called to? And then lastly, uh, why the call is made. So, that's kind of the, where we're going to be looking through. So let's, let's, I'll read this paragraph for us, and then we'll kind of break all that down. So it begins, uh, it's on page 13, 14, if you're using uh, the Bibles from the rack over there. All those whom God hath predestinated unto life, and those only, he is pleased <clears throat> in his appointed and accepted time, effectually to call by his word and spirit, out of that state of sin and death, in which they are by nature to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ, enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God, taking away their heart of stone and giving unto them a heart of flesh, renewing their wills and, by his almighty power, determining them to that which is good and effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ. Yet so, as they come most freely, being made willing by his grace. So the confession starts uh, by discussing um, who it is that receives the call, who it is that makes the call. That's the, the first thing we're going to look at. And they, most of the commentators that I read on this section start by contrasting the what we're calling the effectual call with what you could, all, with what you could call um, the general call. Uh, the general call is the call to preach the gospel to all mankind, to every uh, person without exception. We are to, to proclaim the message of God's word 
and the way of salvation to all people. It is a sincere offer from the Lord to anyone that would repent and believe the gospel, that their sins can be forgiven. Uh, Joel 2.32 says, And it shall come to pass that all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anyone who calls to God in sincere faith, asking for forgiveness of their sins, will be saved. And yet, not everyone responds to that general call. Um, Mr. Therrell, why do you think that might be? Why do people not respond to the offer of salvation in Jesus Christ? Why do people not? Yeah. I, you know, Jesus offers the woman at the well living water. Because it's like it's against their, their sinful nature. It's against their sinful nature. That's exactly right. People do not respond to the general call because they don't want to. Because it's contrary to their sinful nature. The reason they don't recall, they don't respond is because they don't want to believe it. Uh, despite what many people will say, there is nobody who earnestly desires to believe in Jesus who does not then believe in the Lord Jesus. Now, some people you might meet will say, well, I would really like to believe Christianity is true, but I can't, and they'll give X, Y, or Z reason. That would sound on the surface like contradictory to what I just said. But, but you have to realize that when people say, well, I would like to believe the Bible's true, but I can't, and they'll say whatever the reason is, um, they mean they would like to believe in Christianity in the same way that I mean it when I say, uh, I would like for my kids to stay the age they are right now forever. There's a sense in which this is a really sweet time in my life, having a six-year-old daughter and a four-year-old son and a one-year-old baby. They're adorable, they're precious, they don't talk back nearly as much as they will in ten years. <laughs> Though they do talk back a little. Um, but there's a, it's a really sweet thing, and I really enjoy it. But I want more for James than to be four-year-old boy that he currently is. I want more for Brooke. I want more for Lynn. I want more for my kids. If I could freeze them in time at this age, I wouldn't because I want something else more for them. In that same way, when somebody might say to you, uh, I would like to believe in Christianity, but that's what they're saying. There, there may be some sentimental attraction to it. Like my, uh, I've got a half-brother um, who, who uh, is not a believer at all, but he really likes the sense of community and fellowship that I have with our church, and he wishes he could have that. There's a sense in which it's attractive to him. But there are other things that he wants more. There's his sin that he wants more. That's the same thing with, with some people who might say that they want to believe the Bible but something else. There's something more attractive. What I'm saying is there's no one who desires wholeheartedly to be a Christian who is not. Uh, and, and the difference is uh, uh, who receives the effectual call. Everyone receives the general call. It's who receives the effectual call. It is the, the elect only who receives the call. Um, so who is the elect receives and who makes the call? God. God makes the effectual call. Uh, God, by his Holy Spirit, makes the effectual call. So God calls 
the elect. I'm sorry, I didn't really think this out before I started going up here. But there we are. God is the answer to who calls. The elect is the answer to who receives the call. It is only the elect that receive this effectual call. And, and I've talked about this with you guys before. That word effectual, it means exactly what your instinct tells you. It means effective. It means the call that, that, that works, that actually <coughs> regenerates somebody. So, so when does he make the call? Well, according to, um, to our, our, uh, our text in the confession here, it says he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time to do it. That is to say that there is a sense in which um, the elect were chosen by God before the foundations of the world. Ephesians 1, 3. Chosen in Christ before they were ever born, created before they had done good or bad, right? Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated, Romans 9. There's a sense in which election takes place in eternity past. Yet, the elect are still born as sinners and in need of regeneration, in need of redemption, and they receive this effectual call in God's timing. Um, it's the elect who receive it, it's God who makes it, and he does it in his good timing. Uh, Chad Van Dixhorn, professor of church history at RTS Charlotte, says it this way. He says, the what he calls the external, or the general call, of a preacher knocks at the human heart. It is the inner, or what we're calling the effectual call of God, which unlocks and opens it. The effectual call of God cannot fail because it is God himself who makes the call. God does not fail. <clears throat> now, how is it made? How is it made? Somebody look at paragraph 1 of chapter 10. Tell me, how is the call made? By what means? Yeah. By his word and spirit. By his word and spirit. So... In God's time, by his word and spirit. And we want to keep in mind that both of those are involved here, both the word and the spirit. Um, it, is not, uh, it is not the word of God alone that causes someone to be born again. Um, I, can, I can read the Bible to somebody until I'm blue in the face. Uh, I can... Uh, I can preach at people until I can't preach anymore. It is not my words. It is not, it's not the reading of, of, the, of the words of Scripture as if they are magic in and of themselves that, that makes somebody born again. But it's the, the preaching of the word accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God that causes someone to be born again. But the Spirit does this through the power of the word of God. Mr. McGoughlin, would you please read for us Romans ten seventeen? Right. So it's by the by the by the proclaiming of the word of Christ, the word of God, that someone receives faith and is born again. Mr. McGoughan, keep going. Uh, Deuteronomy thirty-two forty-five to forty-seven. Deuteronomy what? Thirty-two. 45 to 47.
Moses had finished speaking, all of these words to all Israel, he said to them, Take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. For it is no empty word for you, but you are the prayer life, and by this word you shall live on in the land that you are going to. All right, so the word of God is no empty word, but it's what? It's your very life. The word of God is no empty word, it's no vain word, it's no meaningless word. It is life. It has the power to bring life as it is accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, working through the word of God, brings people to salvation. That's why, just side note, always be skeptical if somebody tells you they're a recent convert and that conversion story does not include Scripture. Um, the Spirit can work in other ways, but His general pattern is according to the Scripture, is through the Scriptures, through the power of the Word. Uh, Jesus says, sanctify them, make them holy in the truth. Your Word is truth. Yes? Was the first verse Romans 10, 17? Romans 10, 17. Yep. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ uh, or the word of God, depending on what translation you have. Uh, and then also, you know, it, it, is, it is the spirit of God that affects that change in the heart of somebody. Um, and for those of you that, that want the reference, it's Ezekiel uh, 36, 25 to 27. But I'll, I'll read this one for us. Ezekiel 36, 25 to 37. The Lord says, I will sprinkle, interesting word, uh, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols and I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will put within you, and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit, the Holy Spirit, within you. It is the spirit of God working through the word of God that causes someone to be born again. That's that's the elements that we're looking for in the effectual call. Now, now, what is this a call unto? What is this a call to? Well, this is a call out of death and into life. Let's look back at Confession 10.1, and you'll see just a, a list of, of ways that they describe this here. It says, uh, out of the state of sin and death, in which they are by nature, to grace and salvation. Out of the state of sin and death, into a state of grace and salvation. Being called by Jesus Christ, enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly. There's this expression, and maybe you guys have heard this before. Uh, I, I hear it a lot in, in, in the culture. Um, somebody so-and-so needs to have a, a come-to-Jesus meeting. Has anybody ever heard that phrase before? Okay. What, what do they mean when they say that, Jack? Kind of like yeah, straighten up. Quit being a quit being a knucklehead, right? That that's that's what a come to Jesus meeting is. That's not what this is. This is not get your act together. This is change. God saying through this call, I'm going to change everything about who you are. I'm going to make you a new creation. Behold. Uh, he, all, all who are in Christ are new creatures. Second uh, Corinthians five seventeen, um, and this is this involves an enlightening of the mind 
and a renewing of the will. That is to say, it changes the way that we think and it changes what we desire. It's, it's no longer looking at the world, looking at other people, looking at our jobs, looking at our things, and saying, how can I get the most out of this person? How can I get the most out of this position? How can I get the most out of this thing? And rather thinking, how can I glorify Christ in my relationship with this person? How can I build them up in the Lord? How can I honor Christ in this job? How can I glorify him? How can I use these material goods, whatever they might be, for the furtherance of the cause of Jesus? And that's a fundamentally different way of thinking about things. Uh, the idea of, of determining our wills here is that they are, they are oriented in a new and better way. That, that's what it means when it says determining their wills unto good. Uh, there's an old uh, Scottish Presbyterian minister named Robert Shaw who wrote a commentary on the confession. Actually, Dr. Phillips uses his work when he does the elders training class, and he explains this, this change in will this way. He says, The liberty of the will is not invaded, for that would destroy its very nature. I love this phrase, though, but its obstinacy, what's that mean? Stubbornness. It's stubbornness. That's a good word. It's hard-headedness, right? It's, it's obstinacy is overcome. It's perverseness taken away. And the whole soul powerfully yet sweetly attracted to the Savior. That, that's what happens to your will when you are effectually called of God. Your, your will that was naturally speaking hard-hearted towards him now desires him. Now it is, is, is attracted to the Savior. Um, and his point is that, that we're not robots that are forced to come to God against our will. That's like charge numero uno against Calvinism is that we believe that everyone's a robot, that, that something just mechanical happens. No, the Spirit invades our lives and gives us new desires, and now we follow Him because we want to. We would not have wanted to had we not been born again of the Spirit. That's true. But once we are born again, now we desire to do it. Does that make sense? Questions on that? All right, it's really important to me that you all don't get caught defending straw mans of Calvinism. Um, why is this call made? Why does God call the elect? This is paragraph two. This effectual call is of God's free and special grace alone, not from anything at all foreseen in man, who is altogether passive therein. God didn't call you because you're awesome. God didn't call you because of the gifts that you have. He didn't call you because he foresaw that you would respond favorably to him. Nothing like that. No, it is of his free grace alone. Why did God choose you? Because he felt like it. Because he wanted to. The choice resided completely in him. I, and I love the language here that, that man is altogether passive therein until what happens? Ponder. Yeah, until being quickened, made alive, being renewed by the Holy Spirit. And at that point, we are no longer passive, but we are actively running after him, actively pursuing him. Thereby, we are enabled to answer the call and to embrace the grace that is offered and conveyed in it. So that's at a, at a very um, high level. That's the contents of these two paragraphs. Just check the time here. 
Let's look at, we'll look at two, I had three, but we'll look at two uh, biblical examples, biblical pictures of what this call looks like. Uh, the first one comes to us, and go ahead and flip there to Acts chapter 9. We'll be done with the confession now, we're not going back to it. We're just going to look at two different pictures of this effectual call. The first one being in Acts chapter 9. This is probably the most, this is page 1026. Uh, this is probably the most radical uh, picture of an effectual calling that we have in the Bible. This is Saul of Tarsus, who would, of course, go on to be known as the Apostle Paul. And what we have here, I'll just read the first three verses. Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's the early name for Christians, they belong to the way, probably related to the fact that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Those who follow Jesus were known as the way. If Paul or Saul found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So this guy's breathing murderous threats against the people of God, seeks legal permission and gets it to arrest them on site for no other reason than the fact that they're Christians. What's his heart towards the people of God? Is it, is it soft or hard? Stone. Stone. Stone cold. He's hard. Does he have any desire, any inclination, any, any hint that he might be about to become a Christian? No. It is the furthest thing from his mind. He would say in, in both Galatians and in Philippians that as to his zeal, as to his drive, his desires, persecuting the church. That's where he was. That tells us where he's at. And then in verses 4 to 9, we see the call of the Lord Jesus on his life. Uh, verse 4, and falling to, uh, excuse me, now he went on his way, this is verse 3, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, that's an interesting thing. He's persecuting the church. He's persecuting the Christians. And Jesus says, you're persecuting me. That's how tightly he associates with us. That's how how closely he associates himself with us, that, that what's done against you, child of God, he perceives to be done against him. Um, Jesus says, I am the one whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. That's it. That's the call. And, and what, is, what does Saul do? Uh, despite all conventional wisdom, gets up, goes where the Lord told him to go, and he starts praying. And, and then the Lord comes to another man in that same city named Ananias, not the one that had lied about his inheritance and, and, and had been struck dead for it, but another man named Ananias. And the Lord says, I want you to go to I want you to go find Saul of Tarsus. Behold, he is praying. And I want you to tell him all the things that he's going to do for my name. Ananias, being a normal human being and knowing who Saul is, says, you sure about this? This guy's trying to stamp us out of existence. You, you want me to just go say hi, how are you doing? He says, yeah, that's, that's, that's what you're going to do, Ananias. 
And he does. And he lays hands on him. And, and, and the Holy Spirit comes into his heart and the scales drop from his eyes. And he spends the rest of his life telling everyone he can about the Lord Jesus, whom he had been persecuting up to that point. That is the picture of, of effectual calling, of, of having your, your whole desires, your whole intentions, everything about you heading one way, and the Lord saying, nope, you're going that way. And he does. Now, it's not perfect. Saul's going to get hot-headed at points in Acts. He's going to have a big fight with Barnabas over John Mark and whether or not he can come on the mission field. He's going to get into fights with Peter, and he's going to get into all kinds of trouble. He's going to say in Romans 7, wretched man that I am, I can't stop sinning. And yet, his heart is oriented predominantly in the right direction. That's the radical picture of effectual calling. For the sake of time, let's look briefly, very briefly, too briefly, at one other picture of effectual calling uh, that might be, is certainly less dramatic, but is probably more familiar, I hope, to most of you. Now, this is in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. So this is Paul writing to his protege. It's on page th- uh, 1116. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. Paul says to Timothy, You, however, have followed my teaching. My conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to be at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Paul saying, you've, you've watched my whole life. You've seen how it's going. And you see that the wicked are prospering and they seem to be doing well. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise of salvation in Jesus Christ. What's Paul saying there? He's saying there's, there's, these, there's these two avenues. There's the faithful one that you've watched me walk, and there's the way of the wicked. My way is hard. The wicked seem to be doing pretty well. You, Timothy, stay faithful to where you are. Continue in what you have been taught. And he's referring to the fact that Timothy was born in a covenant home, that he was raised by a Christian mother, raised by a Christian grandmother. He says, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, with the scriptures, with the word of God. You don't remember a time that this wasn't part of your life. You don't remember a time that you wouldn't have believed the gospel. You, you have been called. And he says, these words are able to make you wise unto salvation. They are actively now maturing you, growing you, developing you in the faith. This is the goal of every single one of your your home situations. This is the goal of your parents and your grandparents. This is my goal for my kids, that you wouldn't remember a day that this wasn't front and center in your life. 
and yet there's a time where, where, where it comes to a time of maturity where it's not just something that you're being taught by mom and dad or by me or by somebody else, but it's something that you own for yourself. There's a moment of transition uh, where it's not just what you believe because it's what you're being fed, but it's something that you own. And that's, that's what Paul is <coughs> telling Timothy to press on into. So that's another avenue of effectual calling. It doesn't have to be a radical conversion like Saul of Damascus or Saul on the road to Damascus. Uh, a good, faithful covenant home and upbringing um, is, is much to be desired. And then finally tonight, let's just address really quickly, why does this matter? Why is it important that you understand and believe in this doctrine of effectual calling? Does anybody have any reasons that they want to throw out? What's something that, that is helpful for you, practically, about this, not just information to have in your head. Yeah, Jack. Um, it shows like the personal connection you have with God. It yeah. shows how He didn't just save all Christians generally; He saved you individually. Yeah, there was a time, and there was a moment in time that He called Jack Gamble, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. There's a moment in time that He called you individually. Very good. What else? Yeah, Ethan. It's all planned out. It's all planned out. Okay, what's comforting about that? We're not just going through the motions and there's not somebody there to, that has an eternal plan. Yeah. Yeah. You're secure. Yep. Because salvation is of the Lord. Because it's of his free grace. You can't lose it. Because believe me, if I had the opportunity to blow it, I would. But I can't. Because it's God's free gift. I didn't begin it and I won't be able to end it. It's his free gift. Uh, because salvation is of the Lord, you can trust that none of the elect will be lost. None will fall away. And then lastly, because salvation is of the Lord, you can be sure that there is hope for friends and loved ones that don't currently know him. There is no one too far from him. There is no one that, that his hand is too short that it cannot save. Because salvation is of the Lord, you can hope. It looked like Saul was beyond all hope. And yet he saved him. It looked like Lydia in the book of Acts had no hope. He saved her. It looked like the Philippian jailer. It looked like so many people. And yet, because salvation is of the Lord and depends on his effectual call, there is always hope so long as it is called today. Let's pray. God in heaven, we give thanks to you uh, for the glorious doctrine of your effectual call. We thank you, Lord, that you give us new wills, new minds, new hearts, new desires that are rightly ordered. And I pray, Lord, for my dear young friends here that uh, if there's any who have not received the effectual call, that you would make, make it so. Lord, that you would give the Holy Spirit, that you would give wisdom from your word, and that you would speak life into their hearts. And Lord, for those who have received it, and I trust that's most in the room, I pray, Lord, that you would continue to mature and develop and call them into deeper fellowship with you through the teaching of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.